0: You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. Amen. You can be seated. Um, You may have noticed that uh, this morning is a little bit unusual and that there are a lot less women around than normal. Some of you are here and you're saving us. Uh, If this was just a group of guys, I really don't know what would happen this morning. Um... But uh, we're all glad that you're here, of course. Uh, but because so many of the ladies are out, it means that we haven't had the normal child care that we have had. So uh, it's just the first two classes, the nursery and the toddlers, are the classes this morning. So please feel free to make use of those uh, if you want to send your kids back there. Um, we do have something uh, very special to us this morning, uh, a gift from the Lord that uh, the Green family is here with us. And uh, I'm going to introduce um, Michael to you in just a second. Uh, but if you've been paying attention to that wall in the back of the room, uh, you can see uh, there's kind of a picture of the nations there. And we have some pictures of some certain families uh, around the world. And the Greens are one of those families uh, that we are just continually wanting to be mindful of, be prayer, praying about and praying for uh, and so they're very special to us, and uh, we uh, have the privilege this morning of hearing from Michael some. Uh, he's got a little booth that he set up out there so that you can uh, find out about what's going on there in Uganda, where uh, the Lord has sent them to minister. And so, uh, but for this next few minutes here, want to let Michael just speak to you directly. So Michael, if you would, come up. Uh, and then once Michael shared with us some, we as a whole church will... Pray for their family. Eventually.
1: Here. Check, check, check. Testing one, two. You can hear me, right? Ah, oh, there we go. Great. All right. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you, everybody, for coming. I'm so glad I get to speak briefly. I just want to share with you that God is doing something in the nations, he's doing something to reach unreached people groups, which is really powerful. Because the Bible says that Jesus won't return until all the nations have heard the gospel, right? And the Bible says that all nations have representatives in heaven, right? So we have to reach all the people groups who do not have a gospel witness. And so God is doing that And he's doing it in many different ways. And um, I'm with an organization called Send 56. And so we believe that one of the most powerful ways God is doing this is by indigenous missionaries. African missionaries going to African unreached people groups. And so what we do is we train African missionaries Uh, We we do a two-year program with them, preparing them to go to unreached people groups. Um, There are approximately 1,000 unreached people groups in Africa today. And so most of those people groups are Islamic people groups. So we train our students to have good theology, um, to understand Islam and how to engage it. Um, They also learn Arabic so they can reach Muslim peoples. Um, and then we send them out, and God is doing such powerful things. It's so awesome to see. I've seen Muslims come to the Lord in in dark places. I've seen Muslims come to the Lord. In Uganda, there's a 100% Muslim people group called the Nubians, and they are 100% no more, praise God, because we have missionaries there, and I've taken my students to do mission trips there. We did one in April this last year, and we had Six Muslims come for baptism who are being discipled by our missionaries now. So that, that's a not an unreached people group, amen? They're reached. They have the gospel, amen? And so we're very blessed by you guys. Um, everybody is a part of this, everyone. There are goers and there are senders, and I think all of us to some degree fulfill both purposes, going and sending, where we're at, wherever we are. And you guys send us in prayer. You don't always know how powerful prayer is. But I've seen it happen where, let me share one testimony. I have to share this testimony. There was this Muslim imam, which is like a Muslim pastor. And he would debate us publicly, very strongly against Christianity. He's like, yeah, 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 screaming against Christianity, okay? When we debate with this guy. And we debated with him one week. Next week, he's debating with somebody else. He goes home. He gets his Bible out to find, like, errors, you know. And he starts reading, and he's like, he feels this strong sense of condemnation come upon him. And as he's reading the Bible, he sees the miracles of Jesus. He's like, man, these are real miracles. He thinks about the miracles of Muhammad. He's like, well, Muhammad milked a goat. That's not really a miracle. Uh, he said he could split the moon, that's just madness. Jesus is real. And so, this pastor gets saved, or this, this imam gets saved, comes to salvation in Jesus, his whole family gets saved, and that was the exact same day that in the, we, we have a house of prayer where we pray and intercede, um, and we have specific intercession topics each day, and that was the day we were praying for Muslims to get saved. Amen? So your prayer makes a difference. Thank you. Your prayer is upholding us. It's giving us strength to carry on and keep pushing even when it feels like we can't keep going, you know? So thank you. Thank you for being a part of sending. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to be doing uh, Muslim evangelism seminars with some of your small groups this week. So I'd love to see you guys at that and get to explain more. And if you want to talk more, Um, Of course, we need partners in what we do and ministry partners who pray and give and those things, and so we'd love to talk to you more about that after service, okay? Thank you. Uh,
0: Yeah, it's, uh, of course, exciting to um, hear what the Lord's doing through you guys um, by his own hand, answering prayers and things like that. and speaking of praying, we, uh, you know, anytime we have somebody who is uh, sent and is among these nations, particularly unreached people, anytime we have the opportunity to have them here, we always want to seize that opportunity to be able to uh, pray for those families. And so uh, you may know the drill. Uh, if you don't, here's what we're going to do. Um, would you guys come? Are you able to come? Not right now. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Okay, cool, cool. Uh, Here's what we'll do. Uh, uh, Elders, can we get, uh, there you go. Can you guys come and, uh, yeah, yeah, we can come here. Uh, Yeah, yeah, we can go down here for you guys. Um, And for the rest of you guys, as we're praying for the Green family and uh, asking the Lord to just move in them and through them, will you just stretch a hand out toward them and just agree in prayer uh, for what the Lord's doing? Well, we thank you so much for Michael and his family. We thank you that your hand is on them, that you have put it in their hearts to go to unreached people, to take your gospel, the, the power of God for salvation, and to make it known. We know your word says that if no one preaches, how can they hear? And if they can't hear, how can they believe? And so, Lord, we thank you that you have saved them and that you've sent them with the gospel so that they could be witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus and the reality of his lordship and his imminent return to judge the living and the dead, and that only those who have put faith in Christ will be found guiltless before a holy God, that this message of salvation and of hope in Christ can be heard in Uganda in dark places where Satan's grip is tight, where, where thoughts and beliefs about God are twisted and, and your character and your name are twisted and maligned and that truth could come through them and through those that they've trained. Lord, we thank you for this, for their witness, for their faith. Lord, we're emboldened by their faith. We're emboldened by how you have moved through them. And Lord, we ask... Would you please bless them and keep them? Would you cause your face to shine upon them? Give them grace, Lord, and give them peace. Would you please strengthen them? Would you, even through their weaknesses, cause your grace and your power to be perfected so that others could see that it's not them, but it's you, the true and living God who is among them, who is working? Lord, would you please cause their ministry, their evangelism, their debating, their ministry to people's needs, uh, their prayers, Lord, would you please cause them to be effective, to be fruitful. We ask, Lord, that you would even work through them and through their team to see multitudes of people come to Christ. Would you please do this, Lord, for your name's sake, not, not for their name's sake, not so that even they would be encouraged, not so that they could see with their eyes, but Lord, so that Your name would be exalted and made great among these people in Uganda. Lord, we believe that it's only by Your Spirit that any of this can be accomplished. So we ask, would You please pour out Your Spirit in greater measure than they've ever experienced before with power, with authority, with love, with faithfulness. Would you please cause your spirit to do a work that generations will hear of? We love you, God, and thank you that you're here listening to us. We've asked for things that we believe. It is your will to say yes to. So we ask with confidence and with faith in you. And we trust these things to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, also want to just point out that uh, as a, a particular point of prayer that you could pray for the Greens, they've really been battling sickness uh, recently for months now, right? Uh, they've been battling really serious sickness, uh, not, and not just uh, uh, not just them, their kids uh, have been really sick also. Uh, so I know they would appreciate uh, if you would just pray for them that the Lord would touch them. In that way. Um, all right, so we're going to continue in our Genesis series, uh, Genesis chapter uh, 26, and um, we're going to read the entire chapter. We've been doing that a lot lately. Uh, we'll read the whole chapter and then pray for some help here that the Lord would teach us. So um, if you would, get there with me and I'll read out loud if you'd follow along. Genesis chapter 26. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Feels like we could stop there this morning, but we'll keep going. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she's your wife. How then could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, "'What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us.'" So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, "'Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death.'" And Isaac sowed in that land, and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich, and gained more and more until he became very wealthy." He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley, they found there a well of spring water. The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. When they dug another well, they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitnah, And he moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzeth, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you, and have not done to you, and have done to you nothing but good, and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came to him and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we have found water. He called it Sheba, therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Biri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning and that you're with us. Thank you for your presence to teach us, to lead us by your Spirit, to convict us of sin, to sanctify us, to comfort us and build us up in our faith, to bring a brother and a sister and their children from a far-off place so that we can touch them and pray for them and love them. Lord, we pray that this morning Your Word, as always, would be living and active. That it would be sharp to us. That it would minister to our hearts. That we would have it in our hearts by Your grace to submit to its truth. And that the fruit of this morning truly would be, not that we just came and heard some inspiring words or got some kind of challenge or saw some friends, but this morning that the fruit would be, we would be made more like Jesus than when we entered this place. For your glory, Lord, please do this. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, uh, of course, we have Isaac here as the central figure of this passage. He's the son of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Isaac was born to them in their old age, Abraham being 100 years old, Sarah being 90 when Isaac was born. Isaac, the name means laughter because both Abraham and Sarah had moments where they laughed at the thought that God was going to actually give them a son, but God had promised to give them this son and he kept his word and he promised for more than just a son for them, but through this son that Abraham and his offspring would become a multitude of people so great that they couldn't be numbered like the stars in the sky or like the sand on the shore, and that even among these offspring, one would come who would conquer all of his enemies and would be great and a king. So here we have Isaac settling in this land after the death of Abraham, his father, but as Famine comes, just like what happened in Abraham's day and in a lot of times in this area. Of course, this is uh, modern-day uh, Palestine or Israel, this, uh, this place which is very arid, its climate. And so famine is common in a place like that. You don't hear about it quite as much there now because it's so populated and so industrialized in, uh, in the cities they have a great water system, but and that day, of course, they had no water system. It was just rivers, streams, these kinds of things, and whenever it ceased to rain for any amount of time, they would face a famine. Now, if you're living there, and it's not raining, and you're starving, your crops are dying, and there's no water to drink, what do you do? Well, you go somewhere else. And where did Abraham go and where is Isaac seeking to go? He's going to Egypt. It's the closest place where everybody knew they could go, that rich valley uh, uh, fed by the Nile River that was just always fruitful and always green. Everyone from the surrounding area knew that they could go to Egypt during a famine and that they could find food to buy and hopefully mercy to stay. So Isaac is going to go there. There was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, which is on the way to Egypt, to, king, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him. Uh, the Lord says to him, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in this land, which I shall tell you. So here we have the first of three times where God is saying something about his presence or we're hearing something about his presence. There's three distinct times, three declarations in this passage where we see that God is with Isaac. This is the first one in verse 3. I will be with you and will bless you. I will be with you and will bless you. He makes him this promise. But then you go down to verse 24 and you see not a future promise about I will be with you, but then a present promise. Verse 24, he says, Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you. So before, in the beginning of the passage, Isaac is thinking he needs to escape this famine and go down to Egypt to be saved. There's a moment here where he's weakening in his faith even among these Philistines. And the Lord is promising that He will, in the future, be with him, so don't be afraid. I will be with you, and I will bless you. But now, in verse 24, when Isaac has made up his mind that he will obey God, and he's going to stay, the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and will bless you and multiply your offspring. So then there's a present-day promise of his presence. Then jump forward just a few verses to verse 28, and we see Abimelech and Phicol, his commander, speaking here, and he's, Isaac is asking them, why are you here to see me? You already sent me away, and you obviously hate me. You've rejected me. Why are you here? And they said, we plainly see that the Lord has been with you. So the first declaration we have from God himself is this future promise of presence and blessing. I will be with you and will bless you. Then we see the Lord come to him again. I am with you and will bless you. And then we see out of these witnesses who've been watching the life of Isaac that clearly, plainly they said, the Lord has been with you all this time. Past, present, and future is all covered here. We know that God Has been, is, and will be with Isaac according to his promise. Twice out of the Lord's own mouth and once out of the mouths of onlookers, Isaac was constantly surrounded by the Lord's presence. Now, we always try to do this. It's, I guess you could call it kind of an exercise, it's kind of a discipline when you're reading the scriptures and you're seeking to learn from God through the scriptures. You want to find some place to insert yourself into the text. Now, you have to be careful with that because the tendency is always to insert yourself in some way where you always become the hero or you're always on the right side of the story or maybe you even put yourself in the place of God, of Jesus being surrounded by his enemies. Yeah, that's me. I'm always surrounded by enemies. You have to be careful to always insert yourself in a place where you're actually learning what God is teaching sinners Weak people, frail people, people who need his presence, people who are dependent on him. So if you find yourself here relating to anybody in the passage, it would be Isaac here. It would be Isaac that you're relating to, or maybe even the Philistines. But for our purposes here, we want to identify with Isaac. And what are we seeing if we find ourselves, put, our, put ourselves in his place Someone who needs God. Promises have been made, but you find yourself seeking refuge, seeking safety, seeking some kind of fulfillment. And here God is speaking to him. I I know what can happen to me, and I know what can happen to you, is in a moment like this, it happens all the time when we're reading the Bible, we get jealous ever get jealous of people who have these kind of profound interactions with God, where God actually speaks to the person? Uh, I don't know about you and, and what your walk with God has been like, or just your journey in life. Maybe you haven't been walking with God. And maybe the reason why is that you're thinking, if he would just say something to me, If he would just, come on, why does this have to be so difficult? Why does it have to be so mysterious? Why do I have to read an ancient book and pray and look for him? Why can't God just speak to me? You have ever been in that place? You just wish God would make it plain? I've been in that place before, and so sometimes when I read something like this, my heart starts to yearn for that kind of experience with God. That in this moment here, twice in this chapter... We have God just showing up and speaking to Isaac. Look, don't worry. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm going to bless you. I have been with you. I will be with you to fulfill all these promises that I've made to you or about you. So in moments like this where we may find ourselves kind of envious of someone who's got this experience like we might have with the apostles, have you ever had the thought where you're like, man, listen, if I was one of those apostles, bro, if I had had the opportunity to walk and talk with Jesus to his face, if Jesus had said the kind of things he said to them, I would never stop. I'd never shut up. I'd always be on fire. Easy to say. They had that privilege. And what happened to them? They ran scared sometimes. They doubted sometimes. Sometimes. God had grace for them. He has grace for us. But here we find ourselves in this passage, and we may be thinking, man, I wish I had an experience like that. And there's nothing wrong with desiring God speaking to you directly. I'm going to keep asking him to do it. But I want to ask you this question. Can you imagine? Can you imagine in your own life, If God were to speak to you in this way, what would happen in your heart? What would happen in your mind? If you were going about your business, your own worries, your cares, your plans, and suddenly you were interrupted by the voice of God, and he said, don't do what you're planning to do. Do this instead, and I will be with you to bless you. Now, as you imagine that scenario and what it would be like to hear God speak to you in that way, don't you imagine that whatever he said not to do, you'd be like, that's the last thing on earth I'm going to do. And whatever it was that he said to do, that you'd be like, that is the only thing that I'm going to set my mind to do because God himself told me to do this thing. And also, can you imagine that the element of fear The element of insecurity would just be eradicated in that moment where whatever it was you were supposed to stop doing and whatever it was you were supposed to start doing, you would have complete confidence that you would do it even if it killed you. Can't you imagine in that moment with God speaking to you? How bold you would be. How courageous knowing that God is constantly surrounding you with his presence And his blessing. Here comes a little sneak attack. Matthew 28. Verses 18-20. through All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus speaking to his disciples, words from God to people who trust him. I am with you always to the end of the age, which by the way, will probably outlast all of us, which covers past present and future, the span of your life will not outlast this promise from Jesus to be with you forever as you follow him, obeying him, and seeking to know him. So we imagine Isaac in this place, hearing God, don't do that, do that, I'll be with you, confidence, marching orders, no fear now, I know what I have to do but we have no need to be jealous. We have no need to envy Him, to wish that we could have been in His place. And don't forget what Paul said in Romans 8, that there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in John 10, that we who believe in Him are in His hand, and no one can remove us from Him. And we can't forget Revelation 19 and 20, that Jesus is going to return and he's going to make war on all the enemies of our souls. And then Revelation 21 and 22, he's going to gather up all of us, his people, with him and we'll live forever with him in perfect peace and joy. Sin and death being done away with, sorrow non-existent, suffering a thing of the past. We too often read these encounters of our forefathers and, and how they related to God and how God related to them and we become jealous as if they received some kind of assurance that we lack. But I want to invite you this morning to see from the Scriptures clearly that you have every assurance that Isaac did. Every assurance, every promise from God. God. Every word from God that was spoken to him, you have. You have in no less measure. In fact, you could pretty convincingly argue that you are in a much better position than Isaac was. Isaac had promises that the book of Hebrews says he only greeted from afar, but he never saw the fulfillment. But you're living in the day of Jesus' church. The Holy Spirit of Christ dwelling inside of you to lead you and teach you. To reveal God to you. If you're talking about God being with people, there's no one he's with more than he's with us. He is with us forever, even inside of us, making his home inside of us. So much so that the scriptures say that we who trust in Christ have now become the temple of God. He doesn't dwell in houses built by men anymore. He dwells in his people that he saved. God is very much with us. So we have this assurance that Isaac had, past, present, and future. Now, we're not leaving Genesis 26. We're going to come back in just a moment. But I do want to introduce something to you that's a concept, I hope, will help ground you in an understanding of what it means for God to be with you. Because clearly we can establish God is with us. Amen? God is with us. We know that. The the Bible says it. Jesus promised it. If at this point we're doubting God's presence with us, then we might as well just throw out the whole Bible. But what does it mean for God to be with us? Well, there's one time of year that we ta- start talking about God with us a lot. You know what I'm talking about, right? God with us, Emmanuel. Christmas. Every time Christmas comes around, we start quoting Isaiah and we start singing certain songs. And I don't know why they're only Christmas songs. But for some reason, around that time of year, I guess because Jesus coming to the earth, it's God being with us, right? And We see that as the fulfillment of those prophecies in Isaiah. But I want to take you to Isaiah, and I want you to understand God being with us, Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew word that literally translates God with us. I want to show you from Isaiah the context in which he said, God with us, or God is with us. And that Jesus is the fulfillment. So, Isaiah chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. These are the origins of Emmanuel, that name that we ascribe to Jesus, of God being with us. It's not only a baby in a manger in proximity to human beings. It's not that he's just nearby. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. This is what is spoken about Emmanuel says to the nations, to the enemies of God, Be broken, you peoples, and be scattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. You can literally translate that, for Emmanuel. So for God to be with you now, understand when God is speaking to Isaac and when Jesus says, I will be with you to the end of the age, he doesn't just mean I'll be nearby. I'll be around if it, if it gets really bad, if the situation gets really dicey. I'll be nearby to swoop in and be with you. Or I'll just be around just so that you know someone's nearby like a kid playing on a playground. Just glances to his parents every once in a while. Okay, they're still there. Please understand when God says he's with you, he means it as a warrior. As a conquering king. As a victorious Battle friend by your side. He will never leave you, never forsake you. He is Emmanuel, God with you like like two men in a trench with bullets flying over their heads and one grabs the other one and looks him in the eyes and says, look, I'm with you. I'm with you. Now what is this this other soldier hearing from his friend? He's not hearing, look, I'm in the same ditch as you. He's hearing, If we go down, we go down together. If we bleed, we bleed together. When the bullets fly, they're not just going to hit you. They'll have to hit me too because I'm standing with you. This is how warriors speak to each other when they go into battle. I'm with you. I'm with you. God says he's with us. So this is how God is speaking to Isaac. Isaac living in a foreign land, surrounded by foreign people who don't know and don't worship his God. They don't know anything about promises, about his descendants, about multitudes of people and about blessing. They don't know anything about that. All they know is this is our land and we're letting you stay here. So Isaac in this moment to hear, no, don't go to Egypt. Stay in this place and I will be with you. And for him to appear to him again and say, I am with you. And for Isaac to even hear from these onlookers, plainly we can see that the Lord has been with you. Isaac here is hearing more than just that God is around. God is somehow involved. What he's hearing from God and what he's hearing from these witnesses is that God is fighting for him. That God loves him. God's devoted to him. There are purposes that God has that Isaac matters in those purposes. And that God won't abandon his own purposes. Fighting for us, interceding for us, leading us, teaching us, disciplining us, loving us, forgiving us, embracing us, glorifying himself in us. This is what the Bible describes as God Being with his people. Now, I know that we see here a a lot going on. We kind of have three different sections to this, and they're not all really tied exactly to these three examples of God's presence with Isaac and these promises God makes. Although the first one is tied to Isaac wanting to leave, and God says, No, stay, I'm with you. But then here we have Isaac being extremely blessed by the Lord in the form of riches. Pick it up at verse 12 in Genesis 26. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. That's not completely unheard of for someone to plant and reap a hundredfold in that day, but in the midst of a famine, it was just miraculous. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now, when we come to this place, we see these flocks and herds and servants, and we see Isaac being called rich and blessed in the same kind of conversation. And I know that these, these feel, this feels like thin ice for us, for, for people who love Jesus and hate the prosperity gospel and see a passage like this where it's so easy to twist and corrupt the true intention of what God's communicating and see if you just trust in God, he'll give you all these riches and wealth and make you great, even so much so that your neighbors will envy you. This is not God's plan of salvation. This is what God did for a specific purpose at a specific time through a specific person. Because if we were to ask our friends who just got here from Uganda, what life was like there, trusting and following Jesus with their whole heart, I guarantee they'd have a different version than flocks and herds and servants. They're battling malaria. They've got people praying to demons against them. So, obviously to trust God doesn't mean that you always turn out with flocks and herds and servants or some modern-day version of that. Big bank accounts, fun cars, big houses, people who think you're awesome, who envy you. This is just not the case for every person who trusts God. It's just the case for Isaac. But let me say this. In a way... Although Isaac was made great in the midst of this, God's presence being with him, God blessing him, God encouraging him and building him up and making his name great through Isaac, we actually, again, have a much better version of this going for us. A much much better version. There was... Um, There is a guy named Joe Thorne who's a pastor up in Illinois near Chicago. And uh, I want to say he's a friend of mine, but I've only gotten to hang out with him a couple times. Uh, He's a great guy. Uh, And I did have the opportunity to spend some time with him when I was in Chicago a few years ago. And uh, uh, he pulled up to this place where I was staying in his old beat-up minivan and uh, I opened the door and hopped in, and, uh, and we were going to go hang out someplace, meet some people to hang out. And we were still getting to know each other, and he asked me just about my life, what was going on, and those kinds of things. And so, of course, I mentioned uh, the Lord and how gracious he had been to me, and I mentioned uh, the church and how God had been gracious to the church, and things were going well, people were meeting Jesus and growing up, and, of course, I mentioned my wife And what a gift she was to me and my kids and how the Lord had been uh, really gracious in giving me kids who were just such a joy. Um, And in the midst of it, he just said, man, we are so rich. He's driving his old beat-up minivan. I mean, dusty. Dusty old van. He's driving. He's like, man, we are so rich. And I'd never heard somebody say that to me before because I've never been like, rich in the way you normally think of it. But in that moment, I was really struck. This guy is sitting with me, and he's hearing my story, and I never mentioned money or possessions. I never mentioned how big my house was. I never mentioned flocks or herds or servants, of course, but anything even like it. And he's looking at me, and he he's like praising God. We're so rich. God's been so abundantly good to us he's blessed us so much we're so rich and I think that was the beginning of me starting to understand how rich I am because I have Jesus and if I have Jesus and Jesus is telling me I'm with you I'm giving you everything you need supplying for your every need then I'm as wealthy as a human being could possibly be in all the best ways And by God's grace, not in all the worst ways. Now we notice the timing of God coming and making these declarations, these promises of presence to Isaac. We notice that he's coming when Isaac is running. When Isaac is running. And then we notice again he's come after Isaac has sinned. Isaac has lied, he's lost faith, he's afraid of these foreign people. Just like his father, Abraham, had done twice. At least Abraham could say it with half-truth because Sarah was his half-sister. Isaac doesn't even have that luxury, he's just lying. Rebecca is not his sister. And now here in this context, in the midst of running and hiding, in the midst of Sinning, lying, fearing, God is coming to speak. I want to say that God is certainly a rewarder of faithfulness. And He's certainly present with people who are walking faithfully. But when God says He is with us, understand that that is not dependent on you. That's not dependent on your measure of faithfulness to Him. It's not dependent on how well you've been doing Like if you're just killing it, you're just every morning you wake up in a prayer time and you're hitting a grand slam. That day you share the gospel with 10 people every single day. And eight of them get saved and the other two, you know, you're like going back and praying for and scheduling coffee and all this stuff. And you get home and you're loving your family and you're doing everything great and laying down your life and all this stuff. And oh, and yeah, for sure God is with you because you're nailing it. But even in your worst days of fear and failure and sin, God is still coming to you saying, I'm with you. I'm with you, not even because of you, but because there's something inside of God that's rooted in Him, in His own character, in His own plans, His own will. He has chosen to love you and be with you to fight for you, intercede for you, give grace to you. And even your failures can't derail him from fulfilling that purpose. He's certainly a rewarder of faithfulness, but he's also a merciful father. A merciful father, and he deals tenderly with his children when they stumble. So even when we walk in disbelief, God will be faithful to uphold us. Now, I want to take you to the end of this passage, to verses 34 and 35. And I want you to see Isaac walking here in belief at this point. He's trusting God. He's obeyed God. What God has told him to do, he's done it. He's worshiping God, he's building altars, he's digging wells, he attributes all of his success to God. He's representing God here in this land. And then look, verses 34 and 35 happen, and it's no accident that it's inserted here. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Biri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basmuth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life Bitter for Isaac and Rebecca, Maybe some of you have had experiences where your children have made life bitter for you. And it'll be easy for you to understand what the scriptures mean there. For the rest of you, I'll go into a little more detail. In verse 35, when it says that Esau, Isaac's son... And his wives, these Hittite women, made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. You could actually translate bitter there as bitterness of spirit. Bitterness of spirit. Not just trouble, not just annoyance. They weren't just irritating. They lived in such a way that they caused bitterness of spirit for Isaac and Rebekah anguish, pain, suffering. I I don't know all the details of what it was, but here you have Isaac running scared. God speaks to him, confirms his promises, his presence to him. I will be with you to bless you. Stay here. Isaac stays. But Isaac is still kind of worried about his own life and not trusting God completely. And he lies and he sins, but then he... Manages to stay the course by God's grace. And God comes to him again and confirms his presence with him. And now Isaac is walking with him. He's seeking to follow God, to honor God. But still, what do you have here? What do you have? In the midst of Isaac's obedience and faithfulness, you still have thorns and thistles. You still have suffering. You still have anguish. This is still a broken world full of sinfulness. Sometimes your sin, sometimes other people's sin. But it's always until Jesus comes back and makes all things new and eradicates sin from the story, it will still be there. It will still be there to cause suffering, to cause us and to cause others to fail. But it is not as though Our sin or the sin of others throws God's faithfulness and God's promise into some dark shadow. It doesn't cast this dark cloud over what God has promised us to be with us. So he's with us, he's for us, he loves us. Yes, we all say amen, but then when we're suffering, we're all going, well, where is he now? Listen to what Paul said in Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Speaking to the church in Rome, mind you. People suffering for the sake of the gospel. He says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So this future return of Christ, we're rejoicing in hope that God will send Jesus back and he will rescue us from our suffering. But then verse 3 happens. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. So Isaac here in Genesis 26 is rejoicing that God is with him. Rejoicing that God has spoken to him, that God has rescued him, that God has forgiven him, that God has blessed him. But verses 34 and 35, we know that Isaac, being a man of faith, his eyes set on the prize, was a man who also rejoiced in his sufferings. And how? The rest of verse 3 and through 5. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Or another way of reading that is does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So what does that mean? Big picture. Let's back up from this Isaac thing, this Genesis 26, God speaking, making promises of his presence, understanding we have very certain promises from God out of the mouth of Jesus even about his disciples. He will be with us even to the end of the age. We have no reason to fear or doubt that he'll ever lose us or leave us. But we know that in combination with his presence, we experience suffering in this world. And what is the thing that causes us to be able to rejoice in our sufferings? Not just endure them, not just survive them, but to rejoice in them. How do you rejoice in sufferings? Not because we're masochists, not because we love pain, Jesus even told his disciples, if they persecute you in you one place, flee to another place. He didn't say if they persecute you, just sit there, just receiving the persecution. He said it's okay to run. That's part of the plan. Run to the next place. Preach to people whose hearts are open. We're not masochists, we don't enjoy the pain, but we do rejoice in our sufferings for what it produces. Because the highest loftiest, most glorious goal that we could have as human beings is to be transformed into the image of Christ. To be sanctified. And whatever your highest goal is, when that's being accomplished, everything else that led you there is worth it. Amen? I mean, you even hear the world speak this way. Look, it was a, it was a rough 20 years. We missed a lot of meals, but here we are. We're millionaires. It was all worth it. Why do they rejoice now in all of the sufferings? Because they got their highest goal, a million bucks. And it's all going to be passed on to someone else who will squander it and they'll still be judged the same. But for us, we have a hope that's secure in Christ. We have a hope that's not fading. We have a goal that is eternal, not temporary. That if we endure, if we endure, it will produce character and not just any character the character of Christ and that that character of Christ will produce greater hope in us the more we become like Jesus the more we'll learn to hope in Jesus and not in ourselves or in other things and that hope will not put us to shame will not disappoint us like a million dollars will not disappoint us like a person like a spouse like a boss like A herd or a flock or a servant. Our hope that's set in Christ will never disappoint us. Why? Full circle. God's presence. God's promise. His Holy Spirit that's been poured into our hearts. You cannot be conquered. Not because of you. You stink. I stink. I'm I'm horrible at this. On a daily basis I fail, I wander. But God never fails. God never wanders. God never loses strength. He never grows tired. He never grows tired of us. This is why our hope is secure. And it's a more informed hope than Isaac ever had, believe me. He only greeted it from afar. We're face to face with it. So, here's what I think we do with this. With this example of God's interaction with Isaac. Isaac's turning, his repentance, his trust in God, his endurance. These promises of God that are very real for us. Here's what I think we do with them you remember we asked earlier, can you imagine how boldly, how courageously we could live for God if we knew that he was constantly surrounding us with his presence? And if his presence with us, God being with us, Emmanuel, means more than just he's around, he's nearby. If it means he's fighting for us, he's making war on our behalf, God of the universe who's in sovereign authority over all things from the largest to the smallest, that if this is your life, how, how courageously and boldly could you live? Let's do it. I mean, really, that's kind of it, right? The, you don't even have to seek anything at this point. I mean, we just told you. There's nothing to look for, nothing to scratch and claw for, nothing to beg God for. He said, I am with you. And that says everything. All the courage, all the boldness that you need, all the, all the equipment that you need, all the character, all the hope, all the encouragement that you need, all the power that you need, the words that you need. Everything that you need is all caught up in who Christ is. And who Christ is has been granted to you as a gift through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ inside of you. What else could we even ask for? Let's live this life to the fullest. To magnify Christ. It's our highest goal to be made like Him. To know Him. To hope in Him every bit of success and failure, every bit of discipline will all be worth it. We can rejoice in all of it. So let's go to the Lord and ask him to do what he wants with us. Thank you for listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church.